Hello and hey there. Welcome to the Top 5 Podcast, a show where we rank and discuss any list you can imagine. Best ice cream? Mm. Top gaming consoles? Best blenders? Nothing is off limits. Everyone is wrong, even when they think they are right. I'm your host, Tom Lockhart, and with me as always is... Eric Shane. Hi, Eric. How you doing? Doing good, buddy. How was your week? It was pretty good. I I can see now, uh, after two years of not having glasses or contacts, I finally went to the doctor and I can see the world. It's crazy. Wow. Good for <laughs> you, buddy. I'm proud of you for finally admitting that, you know, it's okay to see. It's okay. Yeah. You're allowed. It's, it's so weird, the not going for two years and then like you put glasses on. You're like, what was I doing to myself? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've tried that with a hearing aid recently, but now I'm like, ugh, this thing sucks. I don't want it. I don't think I want ugh. it. I don't want to be able to hear. <laughs> We're getting old. Yeah, I know. Uh, you know who isn't getting old? Who isn't getting old? That'd be uh, Mr. Zach Rancourt. Oh, Zach Rancourt's here. How's everybody doing? <laughs> uh, doing pretty good. Pretty good. Um, I got my glasses a long time ago, Tom, because I've mm-hmm. I've needed glasses since like middle school just for reading. But then as I got a little bit older, my eyes kind of sucked. But the cool thing about it is I realized a lot of ladies were like, and a lot of men were like, you're really attractive with glasses. And I said, thank you. So it was, uh, I got the Clark Kent vibes going. That's what I, that's what I get a lot. You know what I appreciate about you, Zach? What? how openly shallow you are. I know. You're just like, you just, <laughs> I don't care. Uh, I mean, cause most of the time, I mean, it's, it's all uh, hyperbole. I'm like, yeah, whatever, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not saying I'm God's gift at, by any stretch of the imagination, but, uh, I, I think I'm an attractive guy, but I, but, but you're welcome anyway, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so no, no, I mean, I just, glasses are great, man. I, um, I don't, I wear contacts when I do activities, but, uh, they irritate my eyes after a few hours. So I prefer glasses cause I can, you know, obviously take them off if my eyes get tired so yeah yeah uh, i don't want you to think that like i didn't need glasses all this time i've needed glasses since i was five oh, i just buddy. go i go about a year without them because i just forget to get a new prescription jesus tom <laughs> i know but i don't see bad enough that i can't like drive and do things but it's also not good <laughs> let me ask you this though like is it like full-on everyday glasses you need or it's just reading glasses uh, it's everyday glasses that I need because I'm uh, nearsighted. That's where you can can't see far away, right? <laughs> so I'm nearsighted. So like when I'm driving, signs are a little blurry for a little longer than they're supposed <laughs> to be. But but I can see everything that's on the road. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm about ready for reading glasses personally. Yeah. Well, nerd alert time, guys. But does anyone else really love R.L. Stein the way I do? I don't think so because I love that man. Authors like Bill Shakespeare, Tom Clancy, John Irving, Charlotte Bront, <laughs> Stephen King, Harper Lee, and Roald Dahl are responsible for some of the most important literary works in history. <laughs> works are incredibly important in life, plain and simple. We just, we just love to read. This may be the most impossible list we uh, ever try to create, but we sure as hell are going to try. Today we are discussing top five books. To enhance discussion, we didn't share our lists with each other, and by no means are we experts or historians in said category. We are just a few dudes who like to talk about nonsense. Now, let me let me interject real quick before we get started. So I, I know that this is very hard, especially for Eric and probably for me, but uh, the, the way we can surmise this is five books 
no more, no less, that you could take with you on a, on a deserted island. Or if there was a fire and you had all five of these books in your bookcase of however many hundreds of books, you know, you grab just these ones. I know that's going to be hard, but that's kind of how we're we're, we're we're aiming for this episode. Yeah, we, yeah, we're acknowledging right up front. This is impossible. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is not possible. I mean, even and I just want to say, I mean, there's different kinds. There's light readers. There's heavy readers. There's bathroom readers. There's people who read for <laughs> entertainment, people who read for information. I mean, there's people who read, you know, blogs and newspapers and, you know, news and, other, you know, novels and history. And it's just... It's so widespread that, you know, you got to kind of just how do you narrow it down to five books? It's not possible. Five genres, maybe five yeah. genres, maybe five books. What you know what? We're going to do it anyway. You know why? Because we like talking nonsense. Hell yeah. It was real hard for me because I actually couldn't fill a top five list very easily just because <laughs> I actually I've read a lot of. Eh, books where it was just like I'm not gonna put that on a top five list like it was a fine book but I just I was like I can't do that that's terrible so it was real hard to actually get five that I was like yeah those should go up there that's fair that's 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 what I'm saying that's perfectly fair listen my my dad hasn't picked up a book in 25 years okay <laughs> I, I, don't, I, I get this from my mom I don't you know it's some people just don't like to read that much. And when they do read, hey, maybe they just like an author, you know, or maybe they like to stick within the wheelhouse of a single genre. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I like to read books multiple times, too. So I've sure. read a couple of the books on my list, like the one of them on my list, I've read at least seven times. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know what? I'm going to start with that one. That was read seven times. And this is my favorite book of all time. Just going to throw that one out there at the beginning. And it is Ender's Game. Okay. And Ender's Game is... In high school, I wasn't a big fan of English class. I usually got not great grades in it. And I really didn't like it. But then I, I, I came to find out... I just didn't look like the books that I was reading in those classes. My junior year, I took a sci-fi class. And that's when I was like, ooh, this is the English that's in my wheelhouse. I got an A in that class because I was actually enjoying what I was reading. Ender's Game is by Orson Scott Card. My mouth doesn't want to work. It's about a boy who is drafted, essentially, into a space force to fight bug aliens. Kind of reminds you of Starship Troopers, but it's way better. It's all about, you know, the struggle of power between, you know, higher commanding officers and essentially children, warriors. Um, It's a psychological book because Ender starts to break down throughout it. So there's all of that. And it's just a great space odyssey. You know, that's what you guys think. That's one of those books that. Uh, you know, I, I I haven't read it. It's on the list. It's again, it's one of those things. That I'll get to that in a little while, but it's on the list of things I want to read, but I haven't got around to it yet. Um, you touched on something so so important that you were talking about how you were struggling with, you know, getting through these assigned readings. Like, oh my god, I have to just slog through this. And then you found a book that you really liked. Something about it caught in your brain, and then you just you could not put it down. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Just clicked. I, I look at these books and these genres, these authors, I look at it a little bit like, <laughs> ready, beer. 
<laughs> people people say they don't like beer. You're wrong. You like beer. You just haven't found the right one yet. Exactly. I didn't think I liked beer for a long time because I realized I don't like lagers. And sure. that's what everyone would get because they're cheap. <laughs> right, because you were a kid and you drunk you drank crappy beer and they're all lagers. <laughs> Although there are good lagers. Yeah, I have found that, but most of them gross. And then it was like, I found an IPA and I was like, ooh, this is the most delicious battery acid taste that I've ever had. Oh boy. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> give me that battery acid. It was just basic white oh. dude. Give me that battery acid IPA. Yeah. Our- give me, give me an IPA and some Brussels sprouts. That's my taste preference. <laughs> oh God. That's a, that is our, you know what? That is our, as guys, that's our pumpkin spice latte. That's, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> My uh, pumpkin spice latte is pumpkin spice latte. So <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's, I'm kidding. I'm you know, it's, 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 multi, it's, uh, it's a unisex. It's a unisex drink. Yeah. Non-gender conforming, maybe. That's right. Ooh, there we go. Um, Ender's Game is a series. It's actually technically two series where there's a series that follows Ender. And then there's a parallel series that follows another character, Bean. And in total between those two books, there's, I believe, nine with a tenth one coming soon. So that's, it's a lot of reading. That's a lot of reading. I feel <laughs> I just want to point this out that uh, Zach was talking about, oh, if you got stuck on a deserted island, hey, here's the first book of an eight book series and you don't get another <laughs> eight. <laughs> no, <laughs> God damn it. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, Tom, I, I don't know. You you can amend it, too, if you want, because you can do an entire series, but uh, you better stand behind each one of those if you do the entire series. Because if there's like gonna, one that's bad, then, then eh, you know. I'm going to stick with just Ender's Game because some of the other ones are eh. They kind of go off because some of the other ones are Ender's like an adult, and it's like, yeah. mm, that's not as cool. The game's um, over, I, baby. Ender's Game's I, over. I, I will say right now, the movie is trash, and I hate it. Okay, fair enough. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, the you know, uh, the the book is almost always better than the movie. Uh, yeah. Terrible. Oh uh, boy. Eric, what would your first one be? You know, I wanted to start this off by my list off by acknowledging more readers are women and we're three guys. It's a it's an industry fact that the majority of women, the majority of people who buy books happen to be women. Okay? And one of the major genres that they go out and get are romance and drama novels. I figured you guys aren't going to bring any of those into the theater. So I wanted to make sure something like that was represented. So I'm going to start out with Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. Yeah. Okay. okay. I'm grabbing Pride and Prejudice. I read it so, in high school. Okay. Yeah. You were, okay. This is probably one of those books that you did read, you know, early on and you were forced to, and it was in class, but it's worth another read. It's, it was uh, written in 1813 by Jane Austen. It follows Elizabeth Bennet. Uh, she's a protagonist who's a young woman at this point. She's, you know, learning about repercussions and hasty judgments of uh, this sort of upper middle class life that she leads. Her father has has an estate and five daughters, but the property is entailed. It can only be passed to a male heir, which he does not have. His wife also doesn't have an inheritance, so the family's going to be just destitute when he dies. Which you know, this is 1813. It could be tomorrow. Uh, so it's just really super imperative that the girls marry well to support all the others, which is the motivation that drives the plot. And the novel revolves around the importance of marrying for love rather than money or social prestige. And then despite the communal pressure to make like a wealthy match, especially from her mother, 
this is a notable change actually in, in the literary word because all the time leading up to really the beginning of the novel. And I, I took a class on this in college of, of the novel, the birth of the novel as the, as the written form, a fascinating class. You had heroic epics for years and years and years. It was just these fantastical heroes from way on back. Almost all of whom were men. Some women were in there, but they played a kind of a small role. Um, they were never meant to be considered real. But then you got this narrative prose fiction that sort of emphasized realism. And over the course from about the 1680s from Orinoco and Offer Ben to really Jane Austen. Jane Austen's the first, I believe, really the first time that a novel sort of reads like what you would expect a novel to read like. Okay. Mm-hmm. All the book, kind of the books before then in the 18th century, like they're a little, little wonky, little specialists only <laughs> and enthusiasts <laughs> only. Um, but one notable thing is it's the emphasis on women. Women grow in society, in Western society at this point, and novels feature women more as main characters. And they're even written by women. So when you see in this novel how it, it revolves around the importance of marrying for love rather than money or social prestige. That's, that's a change. That's a notable literary change mm-hmm. that, that reflected the society it was written in. Um, this is a monumental, monumentally important book. This predates, this is right at the beginning of the birth of feminism in England and America. Um, it, it, it's uh, sense and sensibility came first, but, this, this book was a sensation at the time. It is a must-read for anybody. Pride and Prejudice is a fantastic book. And all the romance novels that, that come out, or even the, the, the romance TV shows and movies that you see, the rom-coms and things like that, a lot of the tropes and a lot of the, uh, the little things that kind of trigger the, the things you expect, I mean, they were, they were born right here. Okay, this is the OG. So I would highly recommend go back, read Pride and Prejudice, give it another shot. Um, as an adult with a more refined palate, uh, I believe you'll enjoy it. I can't recommend it enough. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's uh, the time when women were, were gaining agency or or where it was, you know, not appropriate during that time. Um, very, very interesting. So, yeah, really well done. Yeah, I dig it. You uh, you made me want to go read it because I know I read it in high school and I don't remember a damn thing. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's been, a good been story, quite some man. time. <laughs> Jane Austen, like, screw the screw the nonsense. Dude. Jane Austen could write her ass off. She was really damn good, man. Yes, very very good, Emma. Very very good. But yeah. uh, cool, good job, Eric. I appreciate that. Well, I guess it's my turn. I'm gonna start off with a bang. So this is my all time favorite uh, book and film series and i group them as one because you can't just it's like pringles you can't just have one but the lord of the rings by J.R.R. tolkien uh, 1954 to 1955 he wrote the three books technically they are six books but uh three you got fellowship of the ring the two, uh, two towers and return of the king um all one incredibly important arc and the reason i'm doing all three is because again yeah you can't just sit and read one you will be wanting more and more and more and it is one giant story um i try to read it every couple years um, and try is the key word because it's been some time since I read it. But uh, it is utterly fantastic. I know that I wanted to include The Hobbit in this, but that doesn't really that doesn't I I don't think it works in this setting. Um, I loved The Hobbit. I read it in elementary school. 
And then Lord of the Rings, I read in high school, uh, right actually right before the movies came out and actually concurrently to the movies, because it was something that when I saw The Fellowship, I was like, what? What's this? I've never heard of this before. And then I was like, this is the same thing as The Hobbit. Uh, I was an (laughs) idiot. But uh, anyways, after I saw Fellowship, I bought all three books. I read them and I was like hooked. So um, absolutely incredible fantasy adventure action. But I mean, there are so many incredibly fantastic quotes that are pulled from the Lord of the Rings that are uh, adapted to film. And I mean, I don't want to gush for forever, but I could talk hours about why it's it's the most perfect film ever created. Um, all three of them. They are just utterly amazing and, and, and they get better with age. Uh, I don't I have met people who don't like Lord of the Rings and I don't talk to them anymore. They are, mm-hmm. they're dead to me. Yeah, so you have no, no one could ever say anything bad about Lord of the Rings because I will counter it with, with the, the greatest of opinions, but it is a very, very good read. Um, it is a tradition that I know a lot of people had growing up where their parents would read to him or their siblings would read to him or they would read, uh, the series to themselves. And it's just a, you know, it's it's a comfort blanket because it's it's something that is held up forever. Uh, who doesn't love the songs? Tom Bombadil. Everyone loves Tom Bombadil. All the singing that you get, you get it in the books, and that's it's it's really great. Me yeah. personally, I like the movies better than the books, but I still really love the books. So, I think that's a fair thing to note right there that you like the movies more than the books. We're here for story, people. Mm-hmm. We're here for story. I'm not gonna be. I'm not gonna medium shame you. Yeah. Okay. Medium. <laughs> I coined that right now. Nice. Hashtag uh, medium shame. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm obviously spoiler. It's on my list too. It'll be the next one I talk about just cause you talk about it. But, um, I'm going to ask you real quick before I, you know, when, when it's my turn again, I'll go further into it. I'm going to ask you real quick. Cause you mentioned that you like the movies more than you like the book. Well, there's a new series coming out. Are you excited? Are you nervous? Where are you at on that? Uh, like the Amazon uh, series? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, they're spending like almost a billion dollars on it. So mm-hmm. I really hope they don't mess it up. Um, I will eat up any type of uh, Lord of the Rings storylines or, or lore. Um, absolutely love it. So, yes, I am 100% bought in. But um, I do have reservations uh, just because Game of Thrones season eight was, was horrible. And they were trying to compare the season two battle at Winterfell uh, compared to Helm's Deep, and I just I chuckled oh. afterwards. I was like, "Are you out of your goddamn mind?" I, may, I get angry. I get yeah, angry. <laughs> the Battle of the Bastards was way better than that, and so yeah, it was way better. Uh, yeah. And then Hard Home was in way better than that. But anyways, um, yeah. So I, I I think if they can, I don't know if it'll ever capture the joy I saw mm-hmm. in, in the first films. But I mean, this series may be something for a younger generation, a new I don't know what generation we're in, Gen Z, Gen yeah. Y, or whatever. Um, maybe it will capture their attention the way the original films captured mine. Um, I, yeah. So, so I'm, I, I'm always optimistic. I'm always looking forward because art is art and I will never shit on someone's art until I absolutely, until I see it for what it is. So right, yeah, I'm excited. Since you brought up the movie real quick, hat tip to Howard Shore for making oh my God. iconic yeah. scores of all time concerning hobbits. I'm almost welling up. Just imagining that song. That's such a down home country home yeah. sort of, it when just I, it hits me every time I hear it. I was in New Zealand at the start of uh, 2020, and I, luckily I, I got back right before pandemic. So I got mm. my two week vacation in New Zealand, and it was incredible. A big reason I went there is because I'm a big outdoorsman, but also I love Lord of the Rings. 
And of course, you know, the entire country is gorgeous. It, it looks just like the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And and they, a lot of tourism is based off of that. And there are some real kitschy, stupid ones. But I am not a kitschy, touristy guy when I travel. I like to go off the beaten path and kind of do my own thing. But I had a day to kill. And I was on the North Island. And it was a beautiful day. So I decided to go to Hobbiton. I paid the 35 bucks or however much it was. Um, and you wait for a bus. The bus has to take you into the farm and there's an introduction video on the bus with Peter Jackson and the farmer who owns uh, the land that they used and they play that song and I was almost tearing up because I was so happy. When I got off the bus and I looked around, I was almost in tears because it was worth every penny. I could not believe how incredible it was. You're like, I live here now. Yeah, I just was like, it's my 111th birthday and oh man, I, I just loved it. Um, Um, bro, I'm so so jealous. Yeah, it was incredible. And I just kept quoting the movie the entire way. I mean, my whole trip, I was quoting the movie. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's, it it is pretty remarkable. So, uh, I like that the, I happened to be there. I figured you were going to be like, I I happened to be wearing my prosthetic hobbit feet. No oh, yeah. big deal. I just wore those <laughs> that day. And then I all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> I happen to bring my Andrew Flame of the West. <laughs> Become <laughs> the what girl, you were born to be. <laughs> the girl I was with happened to be dressed up like a wizard. I don't know why that's weird. Exactly. She had the light all of Evan Star. <laughs> she's but, talking about how she's never late. But yeah. So I know precisely um, when they mean to. So, I but, actually yeah, bought all three books today on Audible because oh, wow. I've never read them. And I was, I was I, I was looking for my final book. I was just looking for something. I was like, Lord of the Rings. I've never read those. Huh? Yeah. Oh, they're okay. great. Man. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of names and a lot of words, Tom. So you'll have to <laughs> kind of get used to that. But uh, but it's it's real good. And some of the action scenes are incredible. And you'll see what they left out of the films. And they also don't end yeah. the way like the books don't end. No the way that the the movies do so like in fellowship it ends at a different point and same with two towers and same with you know return of the king there's there's a whole other side plot in in return of the king that the hobbits when they go back to hobbiton i won't say anything but yeah you'll see books are books better than a movie this was definitely one of those situations but it's like i'm glad that they're doing the series now because imagine like imagine if they had done game of thrones we're like oh we'll make it three movies right like that that would be garbage right yeah um there's so much more to this and I'll, I'll go more to it when I'm, when it's my turn next or maybe this will just count as my second one. <laughs> but yeah. Tom, you're Tom, you're supposed to go first. Yeah. Tom, go ahead. I guess I could go. Um, well, since we made that amend, an amendment, you know, that I can go with a series, I will update this cause I was going to just go with the first book, but the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy series mm. is just, Oh, it is so sweet. It's a space comedy. It is just all sorts of weirdness. And I love every second of it. It's just a normal British man whose house is going to be demolished. Oh, no, this is a terrible tragedy. But that's okay, because instead, the Earth gets demolished. And we're only into, like, the first chapter of the book, and the Earth is gone. (laughs) And we're following Arthur Dent around the galaxy as he's confused and just doesn't know what he's doing out here but he makes it through it it's all about arthur dent just being able to kind of go with the flow while also panicking the entire time and there's just all sorts of crazy characters out in space and i enjoy every second of every book i would say that is by far my favorite book series because there is not a bad one beautiful that's a, another one on the list. Like I've seen the movie, but I didn't actually read the book again. You know, I, I, I've noticed here that you got a little sci-fi in your DNA there. 
Oh yeah, don't you worry. I I, I have a little bit of it. Just that's, most of what I read. <laughs> that's that's interesting. That's an interesting note. That's good. I, I haven't read it though. Have you read Zach? No, I have not. I've only seen the movie once, but uh, I know I know they're supposed to be really good. I just yeah. So it comes well, highly recommended by Tom. Yes, and they're very easy to read because they're only like. 180 to 200 pages like it is a breeze to get through each book you can hmm. sit down and possibly get one through one like a day <laughs> really so it's almost like short story stuff kinda um yeah uh the movie the movie's fine it's like okay it would have been nice if they did the other books too just because martin freeman is a treasure to the world mm-hmm. and i uh, the casting just oh also sam rockwell also a treasure to the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're both just so good. I'd no, watch a movie just... with just them like talking to each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's again, some of these stories, they're just, they're not, they're made for the page. They're not made for, I mean, you mentioned William Shakespeare in the opening, you know, whatever, like his, those were plays. They were, they were meant for the stage. You can read yeah. it and I've read them, the plays, but that's, that's not the way to experience it. You experience Shakespeare. You sit, you, you watch, you absorb, you listen. Let actors, actors are storytellers. Let them tell you the story, you know? Uh, with something like Hitchhiker's Guide, well, maybe it's not meant to be a movie. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I think they could do it well. They just have to do it better. <laughs> Okay. That, all right. Well, the, the movie focuses too much on like the love story, the book, like none of that is really a focus at all in the book. I don't know why they decided like that these two people are going to fall in love during it, and mm. we're going to focus on that. Like we don't need a love story in a in a movie. Zach, does Just that sound it, like let it a, happen? Does that sound like a producer's <laughs> choice, Zach? Yes. <laughs> that sounds like a Hollywood producer's <laughs> idea of what a story should be. Sounds like Netflix trying to squeeze a love story into something. So. Oh. <laughs> God. Uh, sure glad they don't actually force um, expanded romance down people's throat just to make a movie. Anyway, my number <laughs> choice is Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, dear me. Uh, I mean, we're just going to go right back to everything we were just talking about. I was just talking about what, what it meant to me. I read The Hobbit. In, I was 12, 12 years old, sixth grade. It was my first real exposure. I've read all the children's books, of course, but it was my first real exposure to the world of fantasy, the genre of fantasy. It was honestly the birth of modern uh, fantasy. It's Tolkien. He created this genre that we get to love and experience now with uh, authors such as uh, George R. R. Martin and David Eddings and so many others that – I, I read The Hobbit and I loved it and I just I couldn't get enough of it. I'm like, oh man, this is so great. My teacher's like, well, you should maybe check out Lord of the Rings. Um, it's a little bit more of a, a little more grown up, reads differently. I'm like, oh okay, great. Yeah, it reads differently. <laughs> it was it was, um, yeah, The Hobbit was written for children. Lord of the Rings was not. Uh, he he meant that for grown ups and he created this. This was my first experience at what world building looks like. You know, um, I, I run a Dungeons and Dragons campaign now. I know a lot of people who play D&D. The expansive world settings that these things are set in and these fantasy novels are set in and they just go far back. They're all, we're all trying to do Tolkien and we're not Tolkien. <laughs> like, <he's, laughs> I don't know if you've seen the Silmarillion, but it breaks down the full timeline 
of his creation, the universe that's in his mind. And the Lord of the Rings takes up just a little itty bitty. The events take up just a fraction of one page of that book. That's how much he's fleshed out to make the Lord of the Rings make sense. So you think you've done your homework and laid out your plot points? Nah, son. <laughs> he created two languages, man. It's crazy. He, 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 yeah, he created these languages. Um, and that's the thing that people do now. It's more common that people do. It's still not the easiest thing in the world. No. <laughs> um, but it's also, they also try to create magic systems. A lot of these different, uh, Tom knows what I'm talking about because he plays D&D with me. Mm-hmm. You've, you've got a certain structure to the magic system in that game. Well, different fantasy settings have different uh, different magical structures. Lord of the Rings is actually kind of on the lower magic end because you don't see, even though it has wizards, it only has five of them. The people who can do magic, there's not very many. You don't see a whole lot of that in the story. Magic weapons, like the sword that glows blue, and things like that. So what I'm getting at is it's the best thing ever written. And if you haven't read it, you're dead to me. And <laughs> I, we can't, yeah. There you go. I'm with Zach on this one. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sort of an absolutist. Um, I'm not quite on Stephen Colbert's level, but I'm not far. I'm, I'm right there. Yeah, he's pretty hardcore about it. <laughs> <laughs> he's correct. Mm-hmm. That's, that's that's where you need to be, uh, everybody. Hey, Zach. Yes, sir. What's your next one? <laughs> okay, so the year is 2012. Uh, how old was I? Um, so anyways, I was uh, 23, 22, something like that. And um, I found a book and I heard good things about it. My girlfriend at the time read a lot and she's like, you should read this book by Galian Flynn. And I said, what's that called? And she said, it's called Gone Girl. And I picked up Gone Girl and I was incredibly enamored by it. This is one of those books that uh, it's it's the definition of a page turner for me. So I would be like, hey, I need to go to bed at 10 o'clock. Well, then I look at the clock and it's 2 a.m. And I am still reading this because each chapter ended on such a cliffhanger. Uh, her pacing, just the way she she builds a scene and her dialogue is is so sharp. And there's not it's not overly filled with exposition. Um, some people like, uh, I think Dan McGregor is his name. He takes forever. Stephen King does this a lot too. He takes forever to describe like one scene on a page. So you're reading an entire page and it's just one scene. Uh, Gillian or Gillian Flynn is fantastic at setting up the way that you can perceive how a character, well, you can get a character's perception in like a few sentences. And, uh, she just has a way about her with the words. But if you have not read Gone Girl, I would implore you to read it. And, and they made a movie, uh, about it. They did a movie a few years later by one of my favorite directors of all time, David Fincher. So that movie, Gillian Flynn was the, uh, actually she penned the, she was the screenwriter. So that's really rare when you can have the author do the, the script, because then you have a direct adaptation. And this was one of the best book to film adaptations I have ever seen. Um, David Fincher is obviously not a stranger to, to book to, to film adaptations, Zodiac and fight club and such. But um, if, yeah, if you haven't seen gone girl, watch it. It's, it's, it's about how crazy people are, no matter what they are. Um, relationships are scary, but at the same time, we keep coming back to to them because they make us happy and comfortable. And it's, um, 
it's it's a weird thing, but it's it's definitely the definition of a page turner for me. Mm-hmm. Mm, so you like a good thriller. Um, I do like thrillers. Uh, Shutter Island was up there too. Dennis Lee Hain, that was a really good one too. That was a page turner. But uh, yeah, Gone Girl is 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 awesome. Uh, Girl on a Train came out. That was uh, by Paula Hawkins. And that one was good too, but it was too similar to Gone Girl. Um, and I read another one from Gillian too, and it was uh, Sharp Objects. And they turned that into a show on HBO. Uh, she just is, she is such a good author. I absolutely love her. That's awesome. I haven't read it. I haven't seen the movie. Oh I my never god! Re- I never really oh, gave it a second great. thought. <laughs> oh, the movie's so good! It's so good! It's terrifying, but it's so good. <laughs> I mean, again, this is just my list just keeps growing. We shouldn't have done this. God, <laughs> we did a podcast on it. You can just listen to the podcast if you don't uh, want to watch sure. the movie. <laughs> uh, I'm just saying. Oh my goodness, my list is so long of books to read and movies to watch. I think everybody out there listening knows exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, it's a never-ending list, you guys. There you go. The exactly. struggle that is your life. Oh, uh, Thomas. Uh, Thomas, it's your turn now. Okay, I'm going to throw a curveball here. I'm ready. Because I decided, you know what? Graphic novel is a novel. Yeah. Yeah, that counts. So I'm going to throw it on there, and I went with The Watchmen. I knew Love it. Um, I, up until probably like, I don't know. 2007 i hadn't bought ever had like read a comic or bought a comic i just that wasn't my thing when i went to the comic book store i bought magic the gathering cards that was my thing that's where i spent my money like an idiot um so the watchman was actually the first comic slash graphic novel i ever bought i'm i'm trying to remember but i think i might have been influenced by zach in getting it i can't remember I, think I, I feel so. like you and I, I saw feel it like in you theaters. told me, yeah, and I feel like you told me you gotta go get it, and I was like, you know what, I will. And the next day, I went and got it, and it's amazing. <laughs> um, it's just all about that world of superheroes and not wanting the superheroes and Nixon being elected to a third term. Oh no, this is all terrifying. (laughs) And we're in a fight with Russia with the cold war. We're all going to die. And the only part that I like the movie better is the ending. I think the ending of the movie makes better sense than the, the ending to the graphic novel. Yeah, absolutely. Squid, like squid monster. Where'd that come from? <laughs> like, that's just so out of left field. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I love, I've actually, I've probably read that like 10 times because it's pretty easy to get through. It's a graphic novel. You just flip agree. right through. Did you watch um, the TV show on uh, the miniseries, yes. I should say, on HBO? I loved the, the TV show. It was great. Yeah. Which made a lot more sense of the squid monster. Mm-hmm. Um. One yeah. of the, it was one of the most complete shows I've ever seen, actually, where it started like you grab a bunch of you grab a puzzle, you throw it on a table. And by the end of the series, which was only seven episodes, I think the puzzle is complete without a piece missing. It was just very, like, oh, very good. Yes. Very well came done. together real nicely. Oh, it's like fantastic. It. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, good choice. So, I like that. I, yeah. I own Watchmen. I, I think I did convince you to, to buy it because we saw it. In, I'm pretty sure it was you. <laughs> yeah, we saw it in IMAX. I remember that. And I was yes. like, I like this. This is good. But I, I had already read it, too. And yeah, I'm pretty sure I convinced you. But yeah, Just Watchmen is great. That's that's huge excellent. IMAX blue dong on the screen. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Outstanding. 
Uh, Eric, what is your third one? Well, uh, I, I, I'm going to throw myself in a little bit of a curveball here too. A little bit different. Um, you guys have seen the movie Dogma, right? Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Okay, so you know it's sort of a religious fiction, right? It's uh, it, it it's it's beautifully. <laughs> some of the acting is just great, and I love the the scene in the garage where Bartleby and you know, uh, they, they're having this argument where Bartleby's just having this huge rant, and uh, Matt Damon's character is just like, oh "My God, I have heard a rant like this before." Uh, don't 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 do that to me you do you sound like lucifer man you fucking lost it you're not talking about going home bartleby you're talking about fucking war on god well fuck that i have seen what happens to the proud when they take on the throne second best thing i've ever read in my life paradise lost by john milton nice paradise lost is the most epic poem written in the english language it was written by 17th century English poet John Milton. Uh, the first version came out in 1667. It actually consists of 10 books. that has over 10,000 lines of verse. Um, the second version came out in uh, 1674. Uh, but it, it, it's his masterpiece. It, it helps um, – it, it talks about the biblical story of the fall of man, the temptation of Adam and Eve by the fallen angel Satan, and their consequent expulsion from the Garden of Eden. Now, why is this so impactful? It's Genesis fan fiction. <laughs> That's what it is. And it's interesting to me because it's like there's dialogue between God and Jesus. Like you're literally putting words in God's mouth. How is that not considered blasphemy? <laughs> you know? I'm fine with it. I'm cool with it. I'm completely down with it. I like shows like Constantine uh, or Lucifer or Supernatural. Maybe you guys do too. Uh Paradise Lost kind of gives birth to all of those stories. This is what makes them okay and gives them room. I mean, he he's right. He, it's blasphemous <laughs> to, to presume to put words in God's mouth, even in his service, as he claims, because right in line 26 of the book, he claims that he's trying to justify the ways of God to men. Okay? he's He's doing this in a time period where this is the rise of the age of reason and people are openly uh, and, and famous people are openly being questioning of this dogma that has been accepted for well over a thousand years at this point. Um, he's, he was not just a poet. He was also, a, uh, he was also a clergyman and uh, his world personal world was kind of ending. He was an old man when he wrote this book he had served in for the monarchy. The uh, English Civil War just happened. He had lost his job. He was blind at this point, so he had to dictate this to somebody who wrote this down. Um, he was definitely not feeling great about himself at this point. So he was talking about the fall of man uh, through this book and the way he described hell. I'm just going to actually read the passage because I got it prepared right here. Uh, quote, as one great furnace flames, yet from those flames no light, but darkness visible served only to discover sights of woe, regions of sorrow, doleful shades where peace and rest can never dwell. Hope never comes that comes to all, but torture without end still urges in a fiery deluge fed with ever-burning sulfur unconsumed. Such place eternal justice had prepared for those rebellious here their prison ordained in utter darkness 
and their portions set as far removed from God and light of heaven as from the center thrice to the utmost pole. That's dark. Yeah. That's dark. That's that's, that's pretty metal. <laughs> it is metal. Thank you for pointing that out. Because that's what I was going to say. This book is fucking metal. I mean, you can read it, and I and I encourage you to read it. But again, let actors tell you a story. There was a BBC radio dramatization of this where, and I think I've mentioned this song before, where the voice of Satan is Mr. Ian McDermott, Emperor Palpatine himself. Yeah. Uh. Oh my God. Stop what you're doing. Pause this podcast and go listen to it. It's crazy. It's so goddamn good. Uh, listen, you can find a PDF version of Paradise Lost on the internet. I mean, the story's 350 years old. Nobody like is alive to give a shit. So <laughs> you don't have to spend it's money. It's public on. domain right now, anyway. It's public domain. It's yeah. been that way for centuries. So it's been public domain since before this was a country over here. Okay. That's how yeah. old this book is. Uh yeah, Paradise Lost is an interesting read. It is Genesis fan fiction in just the most metal way possible. It was Lucifer or Constantine or Supernatural long before any of that stuff. Um, and it set the bar for all of them. It's the second best thing I've ever read. I'll talk about the first thing soon. Nice. I dig it. Well, I don't I don't have anything to add to that because I have never read it. And Eric, you, you so wonderfully explained why it is amazing. So yeah, I appreciate you, you, that. You, hit the nail on the head that was great <laughs> that's everything i was gonna say <laughs> yeah if that if that is not if that if you've never read it add it to your list of things to read yeah. and like i said if you don't want to you know read it slog through it like i said because it's verse not a novel this is not read like a novel it's not an easy read listen to the bbc radio dramatization let them tell you the story and you'll get through it nice okay and you'll gain something from it i promise okay Fair enough. What about you, Mr. Zach? So uh, it's a book that uh, it hit me in high school really well. Um, and as I learned about it more and more, um, I uh, discovered the themes and, and and kind of really thought about it. I mean, I, I got these while I was in high school, but it really kind of enhanced for me as I got older. Um, it's d- been done in countless iterations in, in film and books who've taken inspiration for it. But uh, 1844 to 1846, Al- Alexander Dumas, uh, he wrote The Count of Monte Cristo. Mm-hmm. And it is a fantastic book about revenge, mercy, hope, love, you name it. Um, Edmund Dantes the entire time is trying to get revenge for being falsely imprisoned at Chateau d'If and um, befriends a, a, a mad priest who basically gives him a tip. I'm, I'm giving a very, very brief version. There's mm-hmm. there's an unabridged version that you can try to read. It's really long or you can just get the abridged version, which is still pretty good, too. But um. He basically gives him his riches and uh, he goes out to the island of Monte Cristo and finds buried treasure. He comes back and wants to exact his revenge. Uh, The entire time that he's been in prison, I think it's like five or six years, he has been wanting to get his lover back, Mercedes, but she has since married. She has married an evil man or in the eyes of Edmund, he's evil, but uh, Fernand and uh, they have a kid together, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then I won't say anything else because if you haven't uh, read it, you really should. And it, it is a it is a very quintessential book that we've seen other iterations of it. I mean, The Great Gatsby uses the same type of, um, I guess, motif for it, where it's this almost revenge plot or, or things aren't the way they're supposed to be perceived. Um, hopes, dreams, love, all that kind of stuff. And I think it's, it's incredibly important for people to read, especially at a young age, just because 
Dumas, or he was he was incredible, and you know I, I think he's one of the the greatest authors of all time. So, um, yeah, Count of Monte Cristo. Have you guys read it? I have not, but it sounds a lot like The Princess Bride. <laughs> so uh, I haven't read it, but I have watched my wife act in a play mm. of The Count of Monte Cristo at uh, every community college. Cool. Who is uh, she? She was just one of the guards in the prison. She had a non-speaking part. Nice. Uh, this was, you know, early on in her uh, college career there. But uh, yeah, um, it's a just, dude, it's a phenomenal story. Mm-hmm. I mean, this redemption, this the, the long game, the patience. I mean, I, you mentioned that. I was actually going to say, um, I was going to say uh, Shawshank. Yeah. Yeah. Shaw, Shawshank uh, takes a lot from this. Yep. Shawshank, Be for Vendetta. I mean, there's so many references to it, but yes, Shawshank is is a lot like that. I mean, any type of prison movie where they have a longevity that you 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 want them to exact a revenge in a sense. But yeah, absolutely, that's um that's accurate. Yeah, and, and the yeah, Count of Monte Cristo gives the the classic revenge of uh, taking out. <laughs> spoiler. <laughs> we should have. This is a spoiler cast. We should have said that at the top. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. Uh, the classic revenge where you take it out on the guy who put you there. Whereas Shawshank, no, he just kind of survived. You know, but, and that's that's yeah. that's that's revenge enough. But uh, many who live deserve death, and many who die deserve life. Are you the one to to? to give it to them basically i i summarized uh what i summarized what gandalf said but uh yeah basically that's what it is it's like revenge you're so bloodthirsty over it but then at the end of the day it's like wait a minute this is not a good idea so hindsight's twenty twenty, my friends but um right. yeah so thomas what is your next one okay we're going back to my childhood Ooh. probably i'd say probably like fourth grade um this is i would say the series is is good, but I'm going to go with a specific book. Um, and that would be stay out of the basement by RL Stein. <laughs> nice. <laughs> this is my very first book report was on this book. Oh, do you still have a copy? No, I actually, I bought, <laughs> I bought it on audible today because I was just scrolling through and it was only like six bucks. And I was yeah. like, you know what? I'll reread that. I've that sounds that. awesome. I've done that. Yeah. So I'll be listening to that tomorrow at work. Um, but it's just a story about a botanist who's working in the basement. No big deal. His kids are a little weirded out. He starts growing some leaves and stuff. His blood starts to turn green. Kids are scared. Mom has to go away, uh, cause her sister's in the hospital or something. And dad starts getting real weird <laughs> and dad turns into a plant person. <laughs> you probably could get that just from the cover. And the weird stuff that happens in the first couple chapters, from what I remember. But it's more of Goosebumps is like all I read when I was in elementary school. I know I've read at least like 30 or 40 Goosebumps books. I would crush through those things. Going back to my wheelhouse, if if I enjoy something, I will crush through it. But if you give me a book that I don't like, it's going to take me a month to read that thing. (laughs) But R.L. Stein just knew what kids wanted to hear. And I, I was, I was never scared by R.L. Stein. Like they're supposed to be like kids horror books. I was never horrified by them. I thought they were just interesting. (laughs) That may say something about my personality, like some, some sort of psychopath who's like, ah, this seems pretty normal. (laughs) Um, yeah, so Goosebumps as a whole 
is just that just reminds me of my childhood. And hey, the the show that was good when I was a kid too. I tried to rewatch that because it's I think it's on Netflix or it was, and that does not hold up. The '90s was not a good time for most TV shows. Nah, Oof. really not. <laughs> Reader, beware! You're in for a scare. <laughs> I love Goosebumps, man. I used to watch it on Fox, Fox Kids, all the time, and uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I, re- I read all the books. I mean, my brother and I would share them, so each month or whatever one would come out or every few months we'd always buy them. We had so many and we got we got rid of them. But I do have a Choose Your Own Adventure Goosebumps book, which is really good. And I think I was reading it at my birthday. I was trying to do it all you, like You sure were. <laughs> I was pre- I was pretty toasty, but uh but yeah, that was that was fun. Um and yes, I love Goosebumps absolutely. Night, Night of the Living Dummy is my favorite one though. It scared me go. so bad. <laughs> I thought it was just a normal dummy. He was cool. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, Eric, what would your fourth one be after our little jump well, back to the past? Well, I'm going to jump even further back to the past. Ooh, uh, instead of instead of fake horror, I'm going to use true horror. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, Zach, you mentioned you liked uh, thrillers. And Tom, I think you've kind of mentioned that now with R.L. Stein. Uh, <laughs> what about true crime? What about true crime novels? You guys ever read true crime? Yeah. I've ne- I don't read I true to. crime novels, but I am a fan of true crime. <laughs> okay. I used to. You want to know who basically invented that genre here in America? Truman Capote. That's correct. Uh-huh. In, in Cold Blood is the best thing I've ever read in my life. Wow. Really? Have you ever read it? Yes, I have. It's it really is, good. Yeah. It's really it's good. Amazing. Dude, yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, it's nothing like that had, had ever been written before. It is, in a, you know, for if you're, whoever's not familiar with it, it talks about uh, the 1959 murders of four members of the Clutter family in the small farming community of Holcomb, Kansas. Um, Truman Capote had learned of this quadruple murder when he was still writing for The New Yorker at a time when the killers had not been captured yet. Mm-hmm. So that this murder had happened in this small town. These were kind of upper middle class, sort of well-to-do family. And it was just an absolutely gruesome murder that came out of nowhere. And this, it took the name, it, it was a sensation. What was going on? Why would this happen? And Capote was, he was hooked. And if you've ever, if you haven't seen, speaking of movies, if you haven't seen Philip Seymour Hoffman as Capote in the 2005 film, that film is about Capote partnering up with his old pal Harper Lee to go to Kansas to figure out what happened here as he's writing this book. Uh, Zach, you've seen Capote, right? Yeah, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman is one of my favorite actors of all time. I was devastated when he died. He actually died the day that uh, the Seahawks won the Super Bowl. So mm-hmm, I was I was always bummed out. He's one of my favorite actors of all time. And he was just he wasn't just catching fire. But I mean, he's been in like three of my all time favorite films. So, yeah, it's it's a bummer. I'm with you. I'm with you there. OK, well, Tom, have you seen uh, Capote? Uh, I have not seen Capote, sadly. Okay. Well, then I would suggest you see Capote. Yeah. I think I think you and I think you and the missus would enjoy the movie. Uh, and then yeah, read In Cold Blood. It was originally released as a four-part serial in the New Yorker, uh, and that's what got people hooked. And what's really cool about the book, it's not just you know telling. It's not a, a report of what happened. It reads like a novel, and it tells both the story of. And the backstory of the the victims as well as the killers, and it's a parallel story, sort of in time, to where they meet in these at this bloody moments together, and that's sort of how life works, you know. Mm-hmm. It reads like a novel. You can't believe that this really happened, 
it is it is the best thing I've ever read. And I've read a lot of stuff, but that, that's the best thing I've ever read. I can't re- recommend it enough. Well, Ooh. I I just bought it on Audible like Good. while you were talking. <laughs> Good. Wow. Look at Tom. Buying things I, I left have, and right. At the beginning of today, I had eight credits on Audible because oh. I just haven't gotten anything. And I was like, so I'm going crazy with buying books today. <laughs> good. Cool. Good. Yeah. Yeah. In Cold Blood is really good. I read it in high school and it, g- it gave me chills. I was like, whoa, I don't like all this murder in a, in a house. No, <laughs> it, it has a, like a <laughs> physical effect on you. You're not ready for something like this. Yeah. Even if you read. And it, it's as I mentioned, like the true crime novels that came after it. And that is such a huge genre now. We mentioned J.R.R. Tolkien and created basically created the modern version of the fantasy genre. Truman Capote created the true crime drama uh, genre in uh, in America. Mm-hmm. So go, uh, you gotta read that book if you haven't. It's just you will not be able to put it down. I promise. Pull your head out of your ass and just go read it. That's <laughs> correct. Do what I tell you, uh, Zach. Yeah. What's your number four? Ooh, okay. So yeah, getting down to the nitty gritty. So uh, my number four is uh, a book that really hit me and I was uh, I, I absolutely loved it because when I read it, I was like, they made this book for me. But uh, it is Ready Player One by Ernest Cline. Um, I was kind of in a weird rut um, when I was uh, not reading as much and this book got me back into it and I, I could not put it down. I think I read it in like three days, um, but it, it felt like it was made for me with all the nostalgic throwbacks to the 80s and, and 90s and stuff. And it, it just reads really, really well. It's done really well. I was uber excited when they made a movie about it. I didn't even know they were making a movie about it until my brother told me. And uh, yeah, I absolutely love it. It is a sci fi fans uh, wet dream, I should just say. And, and we are all three giant nerds. So, I mean, it is uh, one of those ones that just works so well on every level. That's I short. agree totally. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I read the book before the movie, before I even knew there was a movie either. And it just, it speaks to you with all of its pop culture references. And it's just like, oh, I get that. <laughs> I love I, when I have moments where I'm like, I get that. Oh, I worry boy. though with that kind of writing, if when you use pop culture references, it's got like a shelf life of five seconds, doesn't it? Eh. Like your kids, are they going to appreciate it? Well, same way? Uh, or, and does that matter? And does that matter? Well, I mean, maybe, but I, I think it, it it's also how you can develop a really good story utilizing that. So you could, you could say that for any type of book where, where the settings or the culture might be different. So, um, in Paradise Lost, I wasn't alive 350 years ago, so maybe some of the verbiage or or um, allusions that they have in there are things that don't really hit me as much as if I was alive back then. Or you yeah, see what fair. I mean? Yeah. And, and like in Cold Blood, I've never lived in a far- well, I've lived in a farm town, but never a 1940s Kansas um, to understand necessarily how much this could affect. But yet, you say it's still your favorite book and so i mean there's so many different things and tom's never lived in a basement where his his dad was drinking drain cleaner and uh you know so he didn't stay out of the basement but it was it was comet not drain cleaner my dad loved comet okay there we go (laughs) but uh but i i i get what you're saying and and i and i can understand but i mean you could always update it too and just change change it to oh he was using tiktok and he was using twitter instead (laughs) and it would make more sense but i mean 
the 80s, these symbols are still things like I was only alive in the 80s for three years, but these symbols are still things that are in pop culture history that that people will remember. So I, I think it's it's a really good way to incorporate pop culture and without just having member berries, without it being like, oh, I remember this. I remember this. It's like it, it's integral to the story. Yeah, it's kind of okay. So it's sort of like immortalizing the youth kind of it's sort yeah. of that, it's a slice of that period of time saying yeah. this is what mattered to us now. And that's that's what art is. Yeah, and it's, it, it's well done. It's not hitting you over the head with it to where you're like, okay, we get it. This was, you know, we understand this reference. And I mean, that's what I disliked about the newest Star Wars films, the seven, eight, nine, was yeah. how much they hit you over the head with references. They're like, yeah. I remember the Death Star. Oh yeah, me too. You know, like the South Park <laughs> episode. But it's, uh, I, I think they they nail it with Ready Player One or Ernest Klein does, I should say. Thomas, what's your final one? My final one is a thousand page book. Whoa. It is so much. And it is It by Stephen King. Ooh, boy. I I really enjoyed It by Stephen King when I, I only read it probably about two years ago. Um but for a thousand page book, it kept my interest the entire time. Yes, it has some questionable scenes. <laughs> you know, not real. I'm, I'm, you know, child orgies, not my thing. But I thought that it was a very, it, it's, I'm struggling for words here, but it was, it's the only book that's ever creeped me out. Like those Goosebumps books, those were good fun. And I've read other horror books and those are fine, but I was creeped out by it. And it made me feel like, oh, there's something that's going to get me. <laughs> Made you feel uncomfortable with the world around you. Yeah, and it's just like, oh, this is, I feel like I have to check my closet on this one. It's the only time I've ever felt that where movies can do that to me, where I got to turn on lights in the hallway (laughs) to make sure I can get to the bedroom without dying. But a book has only done it with Stephen King's It. I guess that explains why the the movie got made and then remade. Yeah, made once, made again. Got yeah, a sequel. The book is the book is real dark. I mean, and like with Patrick Hofstetter's oh. death, that's pretty gnarly. There's some Stephen King is 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 so interesting, and and you know he's he's one of the great American authors because you have to give him that because he has so many properties that have become a mainstay in pop culture, um, and he just he does do do good work, but he is just a really weird author. Um, he doesn't <laughs> sure he can never end a book appropriately. He always has a problem with endings, um, and he he's just, I don't know, gross to be grossed at gross at times and, and, and overly sexual for, for no other, for no reason. So like in the shining, there's a whole storyline with, with Jack Torrance molesting Danny. And in it, there's the whole Patrick and, um, uh, who's the bully? What's the freaking bully's name? I can't remember his name. Anyways, uh, they have like a, they have a, um, homosexual experience and it's, it doesn't fit the mode it doesn't fit anything in the book it just kind of comes out of nowhere and i don't really know what he's trying to say but i agree with you i really liked it and it's really creepy um and it's a good compliment to the film obviously because you know the movie was a book so (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so creepy that's a good choice tom i like it yeah man nice gotta have stephen king on that list got it of course Mm -hmm. so eric Send us home with your final one. Well, I guess not send us home, but give us your final one. Yeah, this is <laughs> this is going to be this is kind of a controversial choice because it's uh it's uh whoa 
<laughs> yeah, it's a little ball. It's a little controversial. Uh, Rage by Bob Woodward. Ooh, okay, okay. Th- this book came out last year. It was essentially about the final, uh, the final year of President Trump's administration mm-hmm. and handling of COVID and handling of growing China and handling uh, the racial tension and the George Floyd murder and all that other stuff. Now, these are things that are not comfortable topics, not for this podcast or really for any other. A lot of people are worried that I'm going to bring my opinion on this issue or your opinion on that issue. We're going to sit here and break down into a political debate. We're not going to do that, right? We don't have to do that. What's interesting about Bob Woodward is, for those who don't know who he is, he and his partner were the guys who brought down Nixon. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all the president's men. They, when they were very young uh, reporters, um, they reported on Watergate. Bob Woodward is not just a, a journalist, but also sort of a presidential historian. He writes, he writes current themes and current events with the president. He will sit there and interview the president. Now they want to sit in front of Bob Woodward so that they could set the record straight as far as you know from their perspective he goes on deep background for these books and he wrote the the for his first book about trump's white house uh fear came out in 2018 and he got a bunch of conversations with everybody around the man but not not the man himself and they it was, you know there was some uh problems with that because you know the president would say it was just oh it's just a hazard job and you know i didn't get to say my piece and fine this time Bob Woodward got taped interviews with President Trump in the Oval Office and from his home office, taped the whole time. President knew about it, signed off on it. Most of that book comes straight from the man himself or from people directly around him talking about it. So he mm-hmm. can't turn around now. He is, but he can't turn around now and say it's a hatchet job because it was reporting on the decisions that happened in real time all through that period of time. So it talks about when he was first told about COVID and how he was told by his uh, national security advisor, this will define your presidency. Mm-hmm. Um, and that got his attention. Uh, the He was told how serious it was. And then it would reports how he'd go out and tell the American public that it's the Kung flu and it's no big deal. And then he turned right around and have another interview with, with Woodward and say, this is the worst thing ever. This is terrifying. This is a, this is 10 times you know, deadlier than the flu. I don't know what's going to happen here. And then turn right around and go to another, uh, do an interview on Fox and friends and talk about how, uh, the Democrats are making a big political scene about it. How do you, how do you respond to that? Like the reason this book is so impactful is because year, most years go by unmarked, right. In terms of their historical importance, one year is like 1968, hugely important in American history, right? Vietnam War, Nixon and all that stuff. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination, Bobby Kennedy's assassination. 2020 was a year like that for us. We recognized in real time how important it is. It's going to be one of the most important years in history that we're going to be referencing for a long time. Your kids are going to read about 2020. So are your grandkids. Mm -hmm. And everything's digital now. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. Everything you said in real time, there's a digital signature for everything you said. And everyone's going to want to know who you chose to be in this moment in time, right? This book is from a presidential historian in real time, showcasing the leadership and the choice of leadership 
from the White House, the most powerful person on the planet, on, in one of the scariest and most impactful years in American history. It is the book that defines that year. Rage by Bob Woodward. Go read it. You probably will be pissed by the end of it. <laughs> yeah. But very, it's a, very good. It's fantastically well written. And it's 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 accurate. And it's. Yeah, it's a great read, though. Go read it. Awesome. I dig it, Eric. I like it a lot. All the President's oh, Men. I did not read the book when I saw the movie when I was younger and it was awesome. Yeah. And uh, all I all I know is people have talked to me about rage just in the exact manner that you did. And I was like, yep. So and without making this podcast too political, I absolutely agree with you. And I think that is uh, that is fantastic. So I will have to also read that. Yes, sir. Excellent, Eric. You're amazing. um okay i'll round it out and i'll bring us home then uh and 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 how can i make a top five books list without including this entire series it was so influential to my childhood and the films obviously were so influential to my life because i grew up with them i read them before the books uh, the movies came out and then i read them in accordance to the films, basically. But Harry Potter from J.K. Mm. Rowling, 1997 to 2007. Uh, I was the ripe age of 10, so kind of around the age that Harry was when it was happening. And then as the movies came out, I you know I graduated from high school and everything like that. So a little, a little shift there, but it still never lost the magic for me. And still some of my favorite theater going experiences. Um, I know that there's a lot of, there are a lot of issues with the film. Um, my biggest things, or films, I should say, my biggest things when people say, well, the book was better. Sure, you could say that about anything. But here's the issue is when you're reading a book, you perceive how a scene plays out in your head. You perceive the dialogue people speak, the inflections in their tone, uh, the way they look, the, the setting around you. You are the director, producer, script, screenwriter, all that kind of stuff. And oh, you're not the screenwriter, but you're everything. Right. And so when you are reading a book, that's the power that you control. When you're watching it, you are watching someone else's vision on it. And so I'm not going to look at another artist's work and and poo poo it. I'll be upset if some things were taken out. But you also have to understand that movies can't be 19 hours long because Order of the Phoenix is like a thousand pages. And when you do a thousand page movie, that's going to be like a 10 hour movie. Ain't nobody got time for that. So, um, you know, aside from some of the, the issues that they have, they the, the films are beloved by all. It, it, it's it's a worldwide phenomenon, important, uh, you know, across the globe for ages. And you want to talk about like things that age well, Eric. I mean, like for my kids, whenever I have kids, this will be something that I will read to them. And this can be like their Lord of the Rings, too. I'm going to I'm going to read a Lord of the Rings to them. But it's you know, it, it, it's incredible. It's, it's, it's fantasy. Mm-hmm. It's magic. And who? Who would not want to go to Hogwarts? Are you kidding no, me? No, I would no. sell you, my soul to go to Hogwarts. <laughs> you, can, you can. You can. You can go down to Hogwarts now at the Universal. You can go down there. And I have. If you haven't been there, you should. I have, yeah. I, I have the Harry Potter. I have the robe, the Gryffindor robe. Mandy got her Hufflepuff robe. We got some. <laughs> I'm a Slytherin, just, though. <laughs> oh, that's cool. That, <laughs> yeah. uh, that, that makes all the sense in the world. I know, right? <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, look, I mean, you're so right. This, was, this is going to be on my honorable mention list that we'll get to in just a second. We'll try to fly through. But... You know, this is something about uh, the coming of age story. And we're talking about how you, movies can't be 19 hours long. Yeah, Game of Thrones was sort of in that uh, HBO uh, serial series format. You know, 
when Harry Potter first came out, when Lord of the Rings came out uh, on, on film, they, they, they weren't really doing that at the time. They didn't have Netflix deals at the time, not like they have today. So maybe something like Harry Potter, hey, maybe they can make a series of that at some point and retell the story that way and go more in depth. I don't think they have to. I think they did a good enough job with the movies. Like we said earlier, there's no need to medium shame. If you really enjoy the movies for what they are as they are, then, you know, congrats. You don't, you don't have to defend that at all. The movies are fantastic. I've, they're, they're rewatchable too. I mean, the actors did such a good job, the writing, especially the last one with the music. And so it's war, it's impactful, it's terrifying. And that's the way it should be because the audience grows up with, and the writing changes. She changes the writing as the books go on. It grows up around book four when it opens with a terrorist attack. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like, uh, hello, uh, we're growing up now. Uh, <laughs> things things are starting to have a little more impact and people are dying. Mm-hmm. Um, it's It gets more serious. And especially at the end with, you know, Cedric Diggory, it, that's a turning point. There's no going back. Uh, he's back and there's a lot of denial. Hello. Uh, talk about the world we're in today denial from the people in charge and what do you do about that um you're you're right so there's there's there is a little bit of stuff that your kids grandkids will be able to relate to um there's good themes that'll last for a long time and uh i'm wondering what tom thinks about it how much do you like harry potter tom I hate Harry Potter. No, I, I I love Harry Potter too. Of course, okay, uh, we actually used to we we would make fun of Dylan for reading Harry Potter before any of us like read it or or watched any of the movies, just because it was like, oh, let's make fun of him for reading this, you know, children's book. Yeah, we're and too then cool I, for that. And then eventually, uh, the jokes went away, and then I was like. I'll read these Harry Potters. And I was like, wow, I was such a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> Cause this I, is great. Why, why did I have to be such a jerk about it? Yeah. I felt <laughs> that way too. Oh, just why make fun of someone for something? Oh yeah. Cause it's my friend and I have to make fun. Of <laughs> right. Oh, I'm, re- we, we, I'm required. <laughs> let's, let's not geek shame. Let's not geek shame. You, you know, know I, yeah. I don't geek shame anyone but my friends because they're <laughs> dumbasses. <laughs> <laughs> That's why they're my friends. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, okay. So, um, as we wrap this up, let's, uh, I know this is a hard list to do, but let's give, um, one honorable mention. Eric might have more, but let's try to keep it brief if possible. Thomas, do you have an honorable mention? My honorable mention is the Dexter books. I've only actually read the first two, but I'm on the third one right now. Ooh. I just enjoy the character of Dexter. It's it's interesting to have a good guy serial killer. Mm-hmm. It, I, when when the show started, I thought that was that's such an interesting premise for a show. Like this guy murders people. Don't worry, they're bad guys though. <laughs> Very good. So I've I've always enjoyed. I can't wait for the the uh, new season to come eh, pass <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so because we're pressed for time here i'll, I'll just yeah. keep it to like one per kind of genre children's Char- <laughs> Char- charlotte's web Ooh. dude let me go down the list of the things i haven't read. i feel like i'm i'm, I'm oh not a God. reader because just, i haven't read this other you stuff. should just rapid fire them just fine all of iliad them. odyssey aided beowulf guns of august hunt for red october take your tailor soldier spy uh, jane Eyre, wuthering heights frankenstein 
by the way, Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. Absolutely incredible. The book's better than the movie. The movies Mm -hmm. are dog shit compared to the book. Yeah, the book is incredible. The book is... Okay. Yeah, again, that was almost on Rapid fire. Dracula, (laughs) Les Miserables, Canamaz and Cristo, To Kill a Mockingbird, 1984, The Legend of Drizzt novels, The Companion series of the Dragonlance Saga, The Belgarian and the Malorian series by David Eddings, Harry Potter series, The Battletech Universe for sci-fi, fucking anything written by Dickens, Mark Twain, or Ernest Hemingway, uh, and then obviously everything to do with Shakespeare, but like I said, those are quiet. And uh, again, uh, Don Quixote, Miguel de Cervantes, Call of the Wild, Jack London, Catcher in the Rye, J.D. Salinger, Brave New World, Huxley, Everything by Louis the Moore, Crime and Punishment by Dostoevsky, Moby Dick by Herman Melville, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest by Ken Casey, Grapes of Wrath by John Steinbeck, Catch-22, Joseph Heller, Middlemarch by George Eliot, Brighthead Revisited by Evelyn Wilde, Ulysses by James Joyce, War and Peace by Tolstoy, and The Time Machine by H.G. Wells. Wow, geez. I applaud um, you, sir. I enjoyed the Hunger Games. <laughs> yeah, so there were a lot. There were a lot in there that I, I totally agree with you, and uh, it's a shame that we couldn't put them. So I'll read a couple of mine really quick too. So uh, yeah, I would say um, Into the Wild, John Krakauer uh, of Mice and Men and the Grapes of Wrath by John Steinbeck. Um, Oh gosh, what else did I write? Oh, Chuck Palahniuk. Anything by Chuck Palahniuk. I really love Fight Club, Survivor, uh, Beautiful You, all that kind of stuff. He is he's incredible. And, and Fight Club is actually my number six definitive one. And I was I had a hard, hard time putting it on there. But I think Red, Red Player One edged it out just a little bit. Um, yeah, uh, Dune. Dune is fantastic. Mm. So um, I think that uh, that probably wraps it up for me. I don't want to go too much into it because I'll, I'll just continue and I, I'm not looking at my book. Yeah, right again, now. this what, is impossible. Wait. Even now, we've yeah. barely scratched the surface. Yeah. yeah. One more for me. Yeah. The Hungry Caterpillar. Well done. Okay. <laughs> so and um, Mike is dropped. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. there you go. One quick thing to note: um, a, a lot of our books have uh, film adaptations, which is very interesting. But uh, that is okay because uh, popular books get get adapted to films. So there you go. Um, to recap, Thomas has Ender's Game by Orson Scott Card, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams, Watchmen by Alan Moore, Stay Out of the Basement by R. L. Stein, and It by Stephen King. Eric has Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. The Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien, Paradise Lost by John Milton, In Cold Blood by Truman Capote, Rage by Bob Woodward. Zach has The Lord of the Rings trilogy by J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, Gone Girl by Gillian Flynn, The Count of Monte Cristo by Alexander Dumas, uh, Ready, Ready Player One by Ernest Cline, and The Harry Potter series by J.K. Rowling. Fun. Tom, go ahead and take us home. Alrighty. Thank you for tuning in to Top 5 Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Podcast Top 5, ZachDale60, TomTop5, and E underscore Shane, where you can give us ideas. Tell us uh, if we're crazy, or even suggest topics for our future episodes. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. Thank you, and remember, it is okay to be wrong, even though you think you're right. Having fun isn't hard when you've got a library card. That's all I got to say. Go get a library card, support your local libraries, and share books, people. We love you all. Take care. Take a look. Yeah. Reading Reading Rainbow. Rainbow.